Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another fun-filled episode of Heavy Metal 101. John! John? Oh, John. You sweet, sweet man-child. Everybody, John appears to have already begun his winter hibernation. Well, that is the way John likes to celebrate the holiday season, via an epic nap. Good for him! Meanwhile, looks like it's just us this time, along with a very, very special guest. You see, on this episode, we'll celebrate the holiday season in the best way humanly possible. That is to say, John is going to take his long nap, well, I shall don my Indiana Jones-esque fedora, grab my trusty bullwhip, and excavate a whole bunch of long-forgotten, underground 1980s heavy metal bands, all with the help of a Grecian god of a guide, author Alexandros Anesiades. John, are you ready to witness me getting just absolutely covered with tarantulas and then learning all about a whole bunch of super obscure and cool music? All right. Sleepy time, John. Got it. Okay. Well, for the rest of us, adventure, romance, danger. For the record, Alex is particularly well-suited to guide all of us on this journey, as he is the author of a simply fabulous new book entitled Heroes of the Metal Underground, The Definitive Guide to 1980s American Independent Metal Bands. Yes! And I assure you, this book is pretty goddamn definitive. There are a lot of bands discussed, like over 1,100. Okay, let's take care of one last bit of business before I get to my adventures with Alex. Perhaps you'd like to share your heavy metal-themed New Year's resolutions, and maybe we'd like to get in touch, where you mayhaps wondering how to chit-chat with us fine folk here at HM101. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us for any reason, your best bet is just to look in the show notes. These include our Gmail address, as well as direct links to all of our various social media profiles. Please do reach out. We would love to hear from you. Of course, the show notes also include a link to our moldering voicemail line, which will probably cough up a bunch of sad dust were anyone actually to try to leave a message. But you can reach out to us through this antiquated method, with questions, comments, kudos, or even vicious offensive insults. Whatever floats your boat. Lastly, reviews and or ratings are always an excellent way to brighten our day, so please do consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you listen to our show. Okay then, enough with the preliminaries. Let's get on to my amazing, exotic expedition with Mr. Enesiatis. Alex, please allow me to cordially welcome you to Heavy Metal 101. Hello, Eric. It is fantastic to have you. I'm absolutely thrilled. We are here to discuss what I think is an incredibly fascinating subject and to celebrate your absolutely wonderful book, Heroes of the Metal Underground, the definitive guide to 1980s American independent metal bands. I loved this book. 
You're awesome. Thank you so much for your kind words, Eric. It means so much to me because, well, I've been working my ass off for this book. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. The book is huge. There's what? There's something like, I believe it's 1,100 bands. Yeah, it's 1,150 bands or something like that. Yeah. That's a lot of bands. It's worth noting. These are only American bands, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you wanted to expand it, you could have an entire volume of sequels, frankly, uh, very easily. If you've been expanded for one or two years, for example, 1980. 1992, it's going to be, again, huge, enormous work. If you're going to be, you know, Canada to the table, it would have been massive too, yeah. And there are so many bands, so many scenes around the world in the night, from the 1970s to the early noughties, there are so many unsigned bands that release their work. And I'm talking about official work, LPs, CDs, 7 Inches, not just demo tapes, that, you know, I think that more people should be interested in uh, those scenes and start, you know, doing some stuff on other scenes too, on the Australia scene or the UK scene or German scene, which is huge too, yeah. There are a lot more more books that you can do based on, you know, what I did on Heroes on Metal Underground. I mean, I was just blown away because I'm, you know, a lifelong metalhead. I have a pretty firm grasp of the scene, or at least I thought I did, and it's... Amazing how many bands that you have unearthed that essentially I had never even slightly heard of, like had no familiarity with, and, and so many of them are so good. Well, first of all, I have to mention that when I was young, they called me the Little American because I loved American music. In Greece, people loved the UK music. All my friends were listening to bands like the GBAs, the Discharge, the Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, stuff like that, from hardcore to metal, it was all UK. While I was listening to the American bands, I love the American bands. In the eyes of a 14-year-old, 15-year-old in Greece, you know, New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco seem a world away. It seems something like so exotic. This is my connection to the to the American music overall. The whole the the rock and roll, the, the American rock and roll, is one of the best things that America offered to the world. is is a symbol of civilization. I mean, and I w- I would love you Americans present it, expose it. So it to the world because you know the Greeks did the Acropolis, the Americans did rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Amen. It, it's so significant for me, even though you know I love uh, European music. I love the UK bands, obviously. Okay, but you know it was it was always American for me. That's awesome. Now, before we get too far along, let let me sort of more formally introduce you to our listening audience. I'm going to do this by way of your compelling bio, so please don't hesitate to like berate me or point anything out if I horribly mangle any pronunciations or if there's any addenda you'd like to add. So, Alexandros Enesiadis was born in 1981 in Thessaloniki, Greece, and is now living between London and Greece. He's finishing his PhD in media and communications while working on all things social media. He describes himself as a manic record collector, trying to get his hands on releases by bands that not many have a clue about. And I can testify that this is true based on the <laughs> book. <laughs> his previous books, Cross Over the Edge and We Can Be the New Wind, document punk and hybrid punk metal bands. Alex loves going to small club gigs, traveling the world, and attempting to keep his daughter and his partner happy, which I have great respect for. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much, Harry. Uh, the, the whole trip with the books started because of my daughter, to be honest. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were living in Siena, in Italy, and we were in the hospital for months. And I, I was freaking out because I lost my job, because I had to be in the hospital. And I posted my PhD, and when the final exams arrived, all was good with her, and she was ready to go home. I told my partner that, okay, I'm going to write a book. 
And I told me, Alice, you're, you're freaking out. Okay, go get some sleep. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to write a book. And this is how the first book came. And this is why all my books are dedicated to three people and one specific community. So the three people is Nicoletta, my partner, Amarilis, my daughter, Ian Glasper. Ian Glasper offered me the chance to release my first book because he was the one that helped me release the first book. And I will always be grateful to Ian. And a community of friends that's like a family to me. So it all started, the whole trip started that way. But the love for, the love for music, the love for rock and roll was, was always there. You know, it's like I'm one of the guys that did some crazy things while I was young in order to see some bands, in order to get some records. Now, actually, on that note, sort of the elephant in the room on the book is the fact that you are kind of a punk guy, right? That was, that was sort of your wheelhouse? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. how did you transfer your sort of interest in punk into this digging into these incredibly esoteric, fascinating metal bands? Well, first of all, it was the DIY element of those bands. I mean, it triggered me so much. I wanted to know how, why, when, and where did those bands release their records? And how there was a whole underground scene that, uh, that only a few people have a clue about, you know, in the whole world. That was so fascinating, that it was so vibrant. And all those people that they were in those bands, where are they now? What have they done in their lives? Is the whole mistake behind all this underground. Alongside, you know, metalheads in Greece are very dedicated and I have a huge respect for those bands. And overall, head metal in Greece is huge. It still is. So I have so many friends that are metalheads. I knew many of those records just right before writing this book. Because, yeah, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it was still easy to get those records. I mean, nobody had a clue about those bands. So, you know, you can find them easily. But this is not the case right now, sadly, because, you know, if you check the prices on some of those records, they're extremely ridiculous, enormous. Yeah, I saw on Discogs, like, 1500 2000 like, insane, insane prices. It's what, you know, what the people want to listen to at the moment. They want to, ris- to listen to the real stuff, the original stuff, because I think that there's a certain amount of people that are sick with all the overproduced productions of records today, or the bands that have all uh, substance, but no no music. You know, there are bands that they have everything. They have everything perfect. The records, the covers, the, the vocals. But they don't have the actual songs. So I think that people are getting back to those days, the 80s and 90s, to find out who are those bands that nobody has a clue about, but they were good. And there are some very good bands in this book. And there are some records that, I mean, when I, listen, I first listened to them, I said, okay, this is by no way a record that, you know, nobody has a clue on. So it's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There were some bands where I was just like, there's no there's no discernible difference between them and the bands that made it, that exploded. You know, obviously the music industry is a funny thing, but like some of these bands, holy crap, they're polished, they're just brilliant players. Like even the production on some of them is, is pretty great, which is weird because I'm sure the budgets are very finite. <laughs> All right, so I understand you have lots of metalhead friends, and so you kind of were able to come across a lot of these bands, but how, like, what is the process of researching these bands, most of whom have very little digital footprint at this point? Like, what did that look like? That must have been very arduous, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I have created a, a database, a database of uh, magazines and fanzines while I was in London. I scanned from uh, a national library of newspapers so many fanzines and so many so many stuff from uh, the 70s and the 80s. I have them stored in digital in my hard drive. Everything is archived. Date, day, issue. 
everything. I, I noticed this. I searched through databases like Discogs, Metal Archives, but there were cases that there, there are bands that are not in Discogs, not in Metal Archives, they're not anywhere. You couldn't find any information about those bands. Those are the ones that I searched through forums, like Corosium, like uh, Heavy Metal Rarities forums, stuff like that. So uh, it was a complete and endless quest because for about two and a half years, nearly every day, you know, a band was dropping by. I was like, oh, I, have a, I don't have this band, so let me note it down, this band. And right now what I have to do, I have to find their stuff and listen to their stuff. So this was the reason. It is, it's not something that you do in a one month and say, okay, I did all my research in one month and I'm going to start writing a book. No, it's not, this is not the case. Yeah, right. Just the pure, the pure volume of listening you must have had to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I do want to focus on a few of these bands in a little bit more detail, just so people can kind of get a sense of what they sound like and a few particular details. But before we do that, I did note, so there were a ton of bands that I wasn't familiar <laughs> with, which really hurt me as a, as a metal fan, but also was incredibly exciting as a metal fan, because apparently I have a crap ton more to learn. I think we all do. But there were a few better known artists in the book. So I was curious, how did bands like The Rods or Sirith Ungol, these bands that are like fairly legendary in an underground how did they make the cut? Well, first of all, they did release. Their first releases, initial releases, were on their own labels. They were private labels. So this is why they did uh, in the final cut. I mean, Siri Fungle uh, released their, their record on uh, Liquid uh, Liquid Records, which was their label, their own label. And the Rose, and the Rhodes released the first uh, 70s on their own uh, label. They self-financed and self-released the, the very first records. So this helped them make the final cut. That's so cool. I was just reading, <laughs> I was just reading about how Sirith Ungol were monumental influences on Celtic Frost, which yeah. of course is you know one of the, the greatest bands of all time. And it's amazing to think of the you know a lot of these bands wallow in fairly complete obscurity, which is a shame. But it is amazing that some of these bands that started off releasing their own albums went on to be hugely influential and like you know basically changed the world. And in the case of Sirith Ungol, they have a huge history behind them. I mean, they started up really early in the 70s, and uh, one of their members later played in the hardcore band Angry Samons. So those bands it did not appear just out of nowhere. They had a history behind them. They were, you know, already accomplished musicians. They knew how to play. They were rehearsing endlessly. So this is what they led them to with their first record on their own. They were pretty sure about themselves that they're music was great that they were doing the best things they could do i think they were right that's <laughs> great stuff okay one, one more sort of just general question about something that struck me in the book before we focus on three of the bands of the many many bands one of the terms that in the early going in the book that you sort of uh, sort of dichotomy you establish is between the idea of false metal you know that paradigm that of course comes from man of war with their death to false metal a slogan versus the idea of what you call true metal. And you use that term quite a bit throughout the book. So I was wondering if you could sort of unpack, you know, what your perspective of true metal is here. Uh, it's, it's really fun because I try to approach true metal as an issue of authenticity, as an issue of being authentic. And I think that most metalheads regard as true metal, the bands that uh, they're authentic, they're not posers. Uh, they have stayed in a specific sound that respects the norms of metal. They have the image of the respect of the norms of metal. They have the record covers, and they have the live shows that respect the norms and quality of good metal. If I was to, to describe what true metal is, I would say that you know, bands like Manila Road 
or Sirithango or Brogan's Held. Oh, I love them. I love that was a band you introduced me to through your book. That was one of my favorite bands in the book. These are bands, you know, that they have this, uh, the integrity, the honesty, you know, that a metal fan that loves heavy metal will love those bands. You can get more metal than, than that, they're, but they are serious, you know. This, this is not stuff that, that people outside of metal laugh to. Because you cannot laugh to Manila Earth. Uh, their music and their lyrics and their visuals and everything, you know, it's respectable. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. You know, what? Uh, a very funny thing, Eric, is that Manila Road, a, a few years before the vocalist died, Mark Shelton, they played in 2016 in Macaos in Texas, a massive festival that is comprised full of hardcore and punk bands. And Manila Road were the headliners and were the only metal band there. And this explains a lot about, you know, their their authenticity. They were authentic. I don't have too much of a connection to sort of the world of hardcore and the world of punk and things like that. It is interesting to think of what, you know, what heavy metal has so much honesty and integrity and authenticity that regardless of how heavy metal it is, it absolutely works in that ethos as well, in that punk or hardcore ethos. And I'd say, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing I've never really thought about. Yeah. And, And, you know, the funnier thing is that Manila Road, they never, ever had any punk influence into their music. No, no, not at all. Yeah, you couldn't think of a less punk-sounding band. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And this explains a lot. Yeah, it's like true metal. This is a term right now that is used to, to you know, describe some bands like Riot City or bands like Eternal Champion. Bands that are good bands, okay. But my description of true metal would have been, you know, those bands. Broca Cell, Siri Tango, Manila Road. Bands that never strayed away from um, a specific sound, but they did with honesty. It was so honest. It was so authentic. You can get more true than that. Absolutely. I love it. That's great. I totally get it. So before we talked and stuff, I had asked about just a few musical selections and specific bands that we could sort of take a magnifying glass to just to get a sense. You know, obviously, we're not going to talk about a thousand bands or more, (laughs) um, but just to get a general sense of what you're dealing with in the book. So how about we dig a little bit deeper into a few bands? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, so uh, let me just say for the record, everyone who's listening should buy your book and they should all dig deeper into this incredible treasure trove of fabulous music but today we're gonna we're gonna focus on three bands now and we're gonna begin in my beloved former homeland of new york city stand clear of the closing doors please where i lived uh, about 10 years ago and we're going to discuss creators of what you describe as quote one of the most wanted holy grails for heavy metal collectors street child <laughs> street child so the <laughs> 1989 ep by street child so you want to tell us about this fabulous band from the big apple this was a fantastic band and rob Riglio, the guitarist that offered me the interview he's such a sweet guy but he's not just a sweet guy that released a good heavy metal record in the 1980s this record is amazing. It sounds, you know, like Iron Maiden on uh, testosterone, something like that. It's so honest. It's so, yeah, it's so cutsy. Such a cutsy record. And there is a very funny story behind that record. The guitarist of the band was a roommate of a guy that uh, he sent me a message on Facebook. And he told me, hello, Alex, I, I learned that uh, you wrote about Street Child. Because um, the guitarist of the band told me, I was a roommate of a guitarist, and he left me about 100 records of Street Child about 20 years ago. And when I called him about, you know, some years later and told him, okay, I, what am I going to need to do with those records? He told me, okay, throw them in the, in the bin, throw them in the trash. I don't, you know, I don't care. Oh, God. <laughs> and when we saw what people thought about this record and how much they're willing to pay for it, 
we were banging our heads against against the wall. <laughs> oh no, it's so much money. <laughs> they were no in New York City. It wasn't famous for uh, the metal bands. It was famous for the punk bands, for the hardcore bands. They had this thing, but th- there were a few metal bands. But there were big metal bands, you know, like Twisted Sister, like The Rods. There were big metal bands, but there were there wasn't such a big scene. And you know, the funny thing is that most of the bands in the New York City metal scene, they had a specific punk element. Uh, this happens in New Jersey too. They were rougher than the bands from Los Angeles or the bands from uh, San Francisco. So you had bands like Bad Circus or bands like Frigid Beats. Frigid Beats are crazy, crazy bands. And even Street Child, they have this specific sound that it is rough, but it is melodic at the same time. I don't know if you have uh, heard, you hear these uh, records, Street Child records? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I've listened to it quite a few times. It's great, yeah, and I, t- I totally see what you mean. It's got a little grit. It's, um, it's amazing, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great record. I think people will be surprised by the vocals on the record. Uh, I think it's Jesse Odom. It's a mellifluous sort of baritone voice, which you don't get a lot of in metal. Yeah. So they recorded at Josh Silver of Typo Negative Studio, right? Yeah. Which is sort of the ultimate in NYC metal. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have Josh Silver also in the book because of, the, of his first band with uh, Pete Seagull, which was Fallout. The Rock Hard 7-inch, if you listen to it, it's going to blow your mind, man. It's like, you know, listening to a New York Bridge Head Metal band with a slight punk touch. It's a fantastic record. Check it out, you know, Fallout Rock Hard. I will definitely check that out. Is Pete Steele singing on it? Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely check that out. Very cool. Any other street child facts before we do a listening break so that people can kind of get a sense of what this sounds like? Well, uh, it is one of the holy grails of all collectors. Um, I mean, people spend about $1,500 to get that record, and it's uh, not available. Even the reissue of it, that's a few years back, it costs uh, $100 to $150. It's like crazy, right? Wow. But I think that this is a record that should get a treatment. A huge ratio treatment with songs that they were unreleased or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So let's take a listening break so that people can get a sense of what Street Child is all about. Now, we have one of my favorite things in the world, the trifecta, which is to say the band Street Child from the EP entitled Street Child performing the song Street Child. Which is... Very 80s metal thing to do. So, <laughs> as you say, fans of Iron Maiden, fans of early Fate's Warning, fans of early Queensryche, I think they're all going to dig this. Okay, so please, everybody, pause the show. There's a link in the show notes, and we'll see all of you fine-looking people on the other side. So, Street Child! This is a fantastic group. Obviously, they never managed to break through. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what is the difference between the bands that somehow made it and the bands that don't. I don't know what the guys from Street Child looked like. Maybe they weren't pretty enough. I, I don't know. One sad thing is that all those bands, you know, the, because Street Child are obviously a band that plays heavy metal. They don't play thrash metal, they don't play glam metal, they play heavy metal. Uh, those bands in the 1980s just fell in right between the glam metal and thrash metal. Mm. And they didn't gain so much exposure. It was it was pretty sad. But by no means, those bands were not great. They were great. Yeah, absolutely. 
I totally agree. Well, thank you very much for lighting the torch and holding it up and introducing us to these bands that, sadly, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I had never heard of Sweet Child before I picked up your book. So that's <laughs> it's much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. <laughs> All right. Before we move along to one of my, possibly my favorite band in your book, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. But do you have any more Street Child thoughts before we, we move things along? No. Okay. No. Awesome. No, no. Let's move. Okay. So I am really excited about this band. I was totally blown away by them. I had never, I'm not going to lie, I never heard of them, even though, sad for me, I actually grew up in the Bay Area of California. So I was like there when this band was active. I was, I mean, I was a kid, but uh, I was around. And we're going to talk about the band Ruffians. Ruffians. It's not the greatest name in the world, <laughs> but it's a great, great band. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, first of all, it's one of the bands that Carl Albert sang. Oh, my God. You no, know, Carl from This Is Rumors. So even if Ruffians were a mediocre band, having Carl Albert, they would have been an amazing band, which they're out already right now because the whole band is a fantastic band. They, they, their sound is like a mix of Judas Priest, you know, Screaming for Vengeance, Defense of the Faith, with Iron Maiden and some Scorpions in. There are songs that they are based on the 1970s, on Rainbow, on Scorpions, and there are songs that they are based on Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. The, the good thing with this record is that even though it's still a little bit of rare, it's not that hard to get to. I mean, you know, with $50, you can get this record of great heavy metal. And the guitarist, Greg Berhorst, that offered me the, the interview, man, he's one of the sweetest guys, one of the sweetest guys ever. And again, there is a hardcore connection because Greg, right now, he plays... Uh, with a Dictators member. They play Ramones and Dictators covers. And he used to play in a band called Two Bit Thief with uh, members from Agile Adjustments and one member from um, Discharge and Broken Bones. So he was very happy when I told him, you know, I wrote the crossover. And he said, whoa, man, I love that book. And he called me, Alex, thank you for what you're doing. I, I, was, I was blown away. He was such a sweet guy. That's awesome. But, you know, they have a specific heavy style that will, yeah, will definitely appeal again to people that they're into early Queen's Reich. Very early Queen's Reich, obviously. Yeah, I totally agree. It, like, so reminded me of the Queen's Reich yeah. EP. Yeah. Now, Carl Albert, who is an incredible, rest in peace, yeah. unbelievable vocalist, but very different from Jeff Tate. Like, that is a difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the sound, I mean, it's just as good. I was really blown away by the EP. It's really incredible. The magic thing of this kind of heavy metal, they're not fast. They're not slow. They play in a specific tempo, but they do write some bloody tunes, some great songs, the great musicianship. Everything in this record is perfect. I mean, songs like Fight for Your Life or Out in the Wasteland. You can't get more better than that. Absolutely. Just so everyone's clear, so what, although they actually have a not minuscule discography, it's not huge, but we're talking about the 1985 Ruffians EP most particularly, which is the one that features Carl Albert. And they did release one more record in the uh, 1990s. That was good, too. But, you know, nobody has a clue about that record. And I think that this is a band that, you know, more people should know about. Yeah, I think people will really dig this record, like, a lot if they check it out. And you can see that in their sound that they're, they're less rough than, you know, the East Coast bands. You know, Russians were from Bay Area. They had a more down-to-earth and more professional and more slick-sounding sound. They, were, they sounded, you know, more... White collar. The songwriting is great. The playing is great. Just incredible vocals. Really top notch. And the, this is this is one. Both this and the next band actually both had. The
a production, it sounds completely professional. You're not really getting that sort of uh, rough and ready sound that you sometimes get on these albums. I love the fact, so the anecdote that Craig told you that you put in the book, so apparently they played the famous show in 84 with Slayer, where Slayer wore the makeup and pissed off all the San Francisco crowds and whatnot. I thought that was pretty cool. Bit of heavy metal history there. Okay, well, why don't we take another listening break? Any other last words of wisdom before we listen to Fight for Your Life from the 1985 self-titled EP? by ruffians well i guess that uh, you know uh, people that are into heavy metal should get everything that carl albert sunk you know vicious rumors villain ruffians scratch they should get those records by those bands because it's not just nostalgia or because carl albert passed away but it is great music with great vocals he was one of the greatest I agree. I totally, totally agree. Yeah. Amen. Well, rest in peace, Carl, and uh, everybody pause the show, click on the link, and let's get some ruffians into our ear holes. Yeah, Carl Albert was freaking awesome. So good. So good. All right. So that is just a great gosh dang album. I didn't know it. Didn't know who Ruffians are. So thank you again, Alex. I I don't know if I ever would have heard this band. Uh, And and that is an absolute shame. Now, I'll be honest. So I listened to a little bit of the later material, and I do think they lost maybe a little bit of steam with the departure of Carl Albert, who, you know, sort of a VIP that's impossible to replace, I think. But holy shit, the EP is just magnificent. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree with you, Eric. It's a record, you know, that's in Europe. They love it. They love it. The wise people. (laughs) Wise people. (laughs) So, Alex, for your last pick, you chose to share this just really, really excellent band. The most accessible, I think, of the three bands that really everybody who listens to is going to be quite impressed by, I suspect. A band from everybody's favorite second city, Chicago. Chicago, am I right? (laughs) And that would be the unfortunately named but wonderfully musical Decoy Paris. Yeah. Ah, man. Uh, first of all, I have this Decoy Paris record twice. Decoy Paris started out uh, head first in uh, early 80s. They released a seven inch. Well, that was a great crossover hard rock to heavy metal. But when we're talking about, you know, Love on the Run, the Decoy Paris record it is monumental. And I have to say that what is really, really, really fascinating is that you can see that all those bands have a different sound. The Chicago bands have a different sound to the New York bands that have a different sound to the Los Angeles bands. The Chicago bands, Hammeron, Decoy Paris, Paradox, those bands sound like the wind of Chicago. They have a very, very, you know, weird production, but they sound so magical, so mystical. And this thing happens also in the punk records from, that came from Chicago in that era. It makes me sad about today's, you know, music scenes. But everything has become so homogenized. You can hear a band from Finland playing like they are from Los Angeles. But it was very regional in, uh, in the 80s and 1990s. So you, ha- you had those Chicago metal bands that have a very, very, you know, unique sound. And Decoy Paris is one of those bands. And funny is that a member of Decoy Paris is half Greek, John Amikos. Oh, yeah, I saw that, right, in the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a sweet guy. He was sending me messages because she was seeing me online on Facebook, at, you know, at 5 a.m., and he told me, Alex, go get some sleep, man. You're going to die. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the time difference got to be complicated sometimes. But he told me, you know, Alex, please, man, go get some sleep. I know you're working. You have a full-time job. You're doing a PhD. You have a daughter and you're writing books. Go get some sleep right now. 
Dick Lloyd Paris, you know, they do write love songs, but they do it in such a gusto, such a style, such a, you know, such a good manner. They don't sound corny. They do sound so unique, so mystical. I mean, the song Secrets of the Heart, when you listen to it, it's like, man, come on. It's like a great song. And I think that their music is most based on uh, 1970s and Judas Priest. I, I cannot hear any Iron Maiden influences into their music, which is good for me because most uh, metal, U.S. metal bands from 1984-5 and onwards, they had, you know, that huge Iron Maiden influence. But Decoy Paris, they, don't, they, they do have, uh, again, the Scorpions, the Rainbow, the Judas Priest. You can hear those bands into their music, but it's so uniquely executed that they do, they do sound like no, no other else. Yeah, it's not totally pop or anything, but it's got a real sort of AOR pop metal sheen while still having, I don't know, balls, something, something that keeps it from going over the edge, which is great. I mean, it is, it's very cool. And funny, funny, Eric, that um, there's one band in the book that have, that they share some musical similarities, uh, even though the other band is a little bit rougher. The other band is Leather Nun from Florida. And they play the same style of heavy metal. But Leather Nun are a bit more rough than uh, Decoy Paris. Still, you know, both excellent bands, top bands. And I'm so happy that people from Decoy Paris still continue on playing music. Not with Decoy Paris, of course, but they're in their early 60s, mid-60s, and they still play music. They still enjoy it. That's fantastic. And very kind people. And one of, uh, I guess it's one of the, those uh, Chicago things that, there weren't so many people of color in um, in heavy metal in the 1980s. But Bicoy Paris, they had one. And E-Trope, which are from Chicago too, they had one too. And, you know, it's uh, the whole diversity, the whole issues like that that makes you happy because it's very unique. You, you don't get, get things like that very often. It's a huge issue, the lack of diversity and voices and all that. So, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. All right, so shall we pause and give the people an opportunity to hear just what this Love on the Run EP sounded like? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so 1987. Now, I will say for the record, I think if I had had the opportunity to hear these guys in 1987, I would have been absolutely in love with this band. Like, this was totally my wheelhouse around that time, <laughs> this more accessible vibe. So we are going to take a listen to the song Secrets of the Heart, and we will be back momentarily. Please do click on the link, see what you think. I think you're going to really like this one. This is Decoy Paris. We'll be right back. band. So I actually made a note that one of the bands that this band reminded me a bit of that I happen to have a lot of affection for, I don't know if they're your thing, is Dokken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely that really smooth, polished, but just just very effective music. Just, very catchy. Yeah. Very, very, very catchy. Yeah. <laughs> so look, Alex, you are clearly doing God's work. These are just three, just three amazing bands of the uh, Circa 1100 that you have brought to the world courtesy of your amazing book, which I, I freaking loved. I, I, I do want to say the book is amazing. You are amazing. And so thank you for introducing us to these bands. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Eric. You know, it's like I have to, you know, give my respect to the American rock and roll. You people, you, you don't know what kind of treasure you have in your hand. <laughs> you should really preserve it, guys. You should make things out of that. It's like, just like ancient Greece. Right now, you have America's rock and roll. In my opinion, 
it is uh, maybe the most significant uh, movement in uh, musical history for the last 200 years or something. And I wish more Americans could understand and find out what kind of tradition was created just nearby, you know, sometimes it was nearby their house. As I've learned, <laughs> it was going on in my backyard, apparently, when I was growing up, and I didn't even know many of these bands. So, yeah, it, it's a way for me to pay my respects, you know, to the American rock and roll. And I'm uh, pretty sure that I'm going to release more books in uh, the next few years. As long as I finish my damn PhD, that has been bugging me so much. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I am working on the, an endless PhD myself, so I have complete and utter empathy for the idea of trying to multitask 460 different things while completing a, uh, a terminal degree. <laughs> exactly, Eric. You can understand me. You can understand me 100. percent <laughs> Yes, indeed. All right. Well, are there uh, any other particular favorite bands or anything else you really desperately want to mention to the nice people out there in podcast land before we wrap this thing up? Well, there, there are so many bands, so many bands that I can name drop right now. So I will dro drop just a few ones. First of all, Hammerong and uh, Nothing to Do But Rock. Again, Perfection, Chicago, uh, Stoneheads, that they were, I think they were from Albany. And um, that guy, Mike Normandy from Stoneheads, great guy, great band. Tantrum from uh, New Jersey and their record, Trenton City Murders. And uh, one record that uh, is connected with Tantrum is Hidden's Rage, the Hidden's Rage record. Again, they were from New Jersey too. Again, superb record. There, there are so many. So, I, I mean, you know, it, it is pretty extensive. The list is, the, the list is endless. But if I was to say that which was my favorite band from the book overall, I would go with the Total Outsider. This band was spectral incursion, very diverse sound. They had great lyrics. They had, you know, the, the whole progressive metal edge, but was weird. It's outsider music, okay, for outsiders. And um, to my fascination, those guys, they had also a, a punk band named Broken Toys that I already had their record. Ha, huh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Art, Art Malonis told me that, you know, Alex, uh, we were playing, you know, a band called Broken Toys. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I have your, some of your records here in my record collection. I said, how the hell do you have our records and you have the Speckle Cousin record at the same time? <laughs> like, and their whole discography has been re-released from um, a record label in uh, Europe called Buried by Time and Dust Records, but didn't sold very well uh, because people, they don't really know this band. Well, ho hopefully we can help to change all that with uh, the book and shouting these names from the rafters. Yeah. There, there's actually, there's so many, Gunner and their 70 to Love on the Rocks, it is a beautiful piece of hard rock prior uh, to, you know, the whole glam metal phase. Bands like you know bands like uh, Empire. If you do listen to a to a band to the the record by Empire, Empire the P with with Y. First of all, they're from Long Island, and uh, uh, Jack Starr from Virgin Steel played some uh, gave some guitar licks on their first record. Uh, again, this is a very you know uh, very cheap record to get, but it's an amazing one. It's like a it sounds like a more straight ahead but more vicious and hard-rocking version of Rush. Actually, I, I, can, I can speak all day, Eric, about bands. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you can stop me. <laughs> then let, let me use this opportunity to say, instead of making poor Alex lose his voice by talking about, you know, thousands of bands, everyone should go out 
immediately purchase this indispensable new book. The book is Heroes of the Metal Underground. Buy it immediately. Buy like 10 copies for you and your closest friends. You will love it. And no matter how much music you think you know, you're going to hear and learn about a ton of new bands that you'd never heard of before. I promise you this. We're going to put a link to purchase in the show notes. So that will be available for anyone who's interested. Alex, any last words, last thoughts? Well, last words. I'm not good at that last words, but I have to say that if it wasn't, you know, for you know, for my family being there and supporting me initially on all those crazy, because it, it is crazy if you think about, I'm going to write a book on the American indie metal, and well, wow, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't for the family to support, it wouldn't happen. Those books wouldn't have never happened. So what I have to say is that you guys out there, especially all the Americans, you have so many great things. Uh, this music can uh, can drag you from everyday life. It's not just a form of escapism for you know from the routine or from the ordinary life, but it can really you know be a good friend with you for all the years to come. And you can find a community in those bands. If you want to buy the book, okay, buy the book. If you don't want, don't buy the book. But please check out some bands. Check out the bands that we spoke today with Eric. And uh, I think that you can find so many good things in those bands. Amen. Absolutely. Look, Alex, thanks so very much for what you do, what you did, writing this book, and also for joining us here oh, on Heavy Metal <laughs> <laughs> It has been so awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the great questions. And thank you so much for the great bands you found out from uh, this book. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Eric. Thanks for your time. Cheers. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye. John, I did an interview. Hi. Dear Diary, John was missed today, but I do think that a good time was had by all. The good news, everybody, is that John will be back and stronger than ever in 2024. After his 30-ish day snooze diary, I think we're going to be A-O-K. Now, this is normally where we'd sign off via an assortment of pithy and wise remarks. However, it's the end of the year, and I have a Chrismica gift for all of you. I'm actually going to release a bonus 20th Century Curmudgeon's Guide to 21st Century Metal episode chatting about my thoughts regarding some of the very best heavy metal albums of 2023. Perhaps this is the start of a delightful new HM101 December tradition. Anyway, please do stick around for that. Up Meanwhile, Merry Christmaka, or Kwanzaa, or Satanic New Year, or whatever else you may celebrate, and much love from all of us here at Heavy Metal 101 to all of you.